going to cover a little international news here. And, uh, I mean, the, the number of different angles and threads that you can tug uh, on this story uh, seem almost endless at this point. We're going to be talking about the situation surrounding Russia and Ukraine and how different countries are being pulled in and out of this. Uh, this morning, Poland's foreign minister said uh, that Europe was closer to war than any time in the last 30 years. Um, Russia making threats, I guess you would call it, to possibly send troops to Cuba uh, and to Venezuela if they don't get what they want. They made a number of demands of NATO. Um, our prime minister is saying that Canada will consider further sanctions against Russia because of their activity. Um, there was no resolution in the NATO meetings with Russia over what's going on there. So definitely some tension. And um, our next guest says that's not surprising because when you take a look at what's going on, around this situation right now. We've got um, two parties, being the West and Russia, that really aren't even, they're not even talking the same language. They're not playing the same game. Let's get some insight from Marta Dichuk now, who is um, a scholar in this. She's an associate professor in political science and history at Western's Faculty of Social Science. Marta, thanks so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. This situation, I mean... (laughs) It seems like there's no resolution in sight. And you say that that's not surprising to you, right? That's sort of pretty entrenched at this point. Well, uh, sadly, that is the case. Because what we have is an international order that was created at the end of World War II that is disappearing. And Russia is not playing by the rules. Now, mind you, there have been incidents before where countries invaded others. But the large powers have always pretty much abided by the the conventions that they themselves created. And this is no longer the case. And what we're seeing now is Russia, under the leadership of Putin, is trying to reestablish its geopolitical uh, situation. They, they want to show the world that they're a great power. And the only way they can think of doing it is using 19th century imperialism and threatening war as opposed to using economic strengths, which they don't have, um, or any other types of strengths. So they're they're reverting back to old-fashioned imperialism and warmongering. And it's very concerning because it's difficult to, to stop them. Who knows if they will actually follow through, but they certainly have that capacity. And we have seen them invade Ukraine. We've seen them invade Georgia. We've seen them help with the bombing in Syria. So there's... There's a track record here that is very, very worrying. You're right. I mean, this goes back a number of years. I mean, the the whole Crimea thing goes back, I think, 2014. So this is this is sort of a continuing pattern of behavior that we've seen over and over. Um, are we seeing a point now, though, where the West and NATO are saying, "Okay, this is it. This is the line in the sand, so to speak," and they're not, you know, and they're taking a much more forceful position, or is it, have they always sort of pushed back? Well, they've always stood up to Russia's rhetoric, right. with rhetoric of their own. They have always strongly condemned the illegal annexation of Crimea and Russia sending in troops to eastern Ukraine, etc., etc. And they've been helping Ukraine in the sense that with, first of all, diplomatic support, second of all, with selling them military equipment and assisting them with training. Um, but they have stopped short of actually taking steps that would really stop Putin. 
And that's where it gets really tricky because nobody wants to get dragged into a war. Of course, of course. So we saw this buildup of uh, Russian troops along the border with Ukraine. That's been going on for a while. I mean, it was last month where there were some mm-hmm. Ukrainian politicians who said, hey, they're, they're planning an invasion. There's going to be an invasion in the new year. And um, first of all, um, do you think that's, uh, that's likely? Is that something or is this just posturing? What, what do you think could happen here? Well, that's a very hard question to answer because we've seen this before. In the spring of 2021, I believe it was in April, Putin did the same thing. He pulled the troops up to Ukraine's border and started threatening And what he wanted was confessions from the West, particularly the U.S., and he got them. He got what he wanted at the time, which was a meeting with Biden, and he wanted concessions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And that, I believe, emboldened him, that he saw the West caving. Mm -hmm. And he thought, okay, well, what else can I possibly want? Well, let's do this. And so he's put NATO on the agenda, which, frankly, is ridiculous, because NATO hasn't done anything new over the past 10 years. So him saying that NATO is threatening our security, you know, if he had said that at the moment when NATO started enlarging and accepting East European countries, that could have been an argument. But they haven't done anything over the last while. The the situation has been stable. So for him to be saying NATO is threatening us is, is just a completely invented narrative. Which brings us to where we are now. We had talks earlier this week involving NATO leaders in mm-hmm. Russia. They broke off uh, yesterday, I believe. Um, and well, they, came, they finished. They didn't break. Okay, they, okay, they fair enough. They completed their negotiations. Um, with no resolution, no, and like you say, Russia's no demands are, you know, uh, we want all NATO troops removed from any country that borders Russia. We want sort of a buffer zone installed, all these sorts of demands. And NATO kind of said, come on, that, That's that, ridiculous. it's not going to happen. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, so there was no resolution, right? Absolutely not. And I don't see how there could be a resolution. And I don't know that Putin actually is looking for a resolution. Because despite everything, he's not stupid. He knows that NATO isn't going to agree to this. Okay. So he's pushing. He's pushing and he wants to see what's going to happen. And that's where it's a little bit scary because uh, there are no easy solutions. Okay. So his goal is to destabilize. To, I mean, he's waiting for divisions within the alliance, which should not be happening. We don't see them yet. Um, but he's just, he's threatening. He's acting like a bully. And this is the time for some brilliant minds to come up with a solution. The same way that our former Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson came up with peacekeeping as a, as a solution to the Suez crisis way back in '56. This is the time for a brilliant mind to come up with a solution because the existing solutions are not very effective. Okay. Talk about sanctions is really important, but sanctions need to be reimagined. And there's talk about cascading sanctions that you put a whole series of sanctions in place that, you know, if this doesn't happen, then the next level of sanctions kicks in automatically. Um, So it's time for creative thinking. Now, as you say, um, the the resolution didn't come from the Russian demands. They didn't get what they wanted, and they're going to continue to push. So the latest that we hear this morning, a Russian diplomat saying, Moscow is now thinking about sending troops to Cuba and Venezuela, um, which obviously would ratchet things up to a new level, right? How realistic is that? Well, that's exactly what they want. They want to keep raising the tensions. And so the challenge for 
liberal democracies like Canada, the U.S., and everybody else is to come up with a proper response to this because panicking is not a good idea. Um, but giving in to any of this is also re- impossible. So, I mean, I'm actually very glad I'm not the Prime Minister of Canada or the Foreign Minister because I don't have a solution. I don't have a solution to this. The only thing is to continue engaging in in negotiations and diplomacy and standing firm and saying this is unacceptable and, you know, let's talk about something else here. But, Marta, ultimately, it's all Mm -hmm. saber-rattling if Putin isn't willing to actually take the next step and invade or start some sort of shooting war. Can the West just ignore it? I mean, he doesn't want that any more than the West does. Is there really that much risk to be run here? Uh, good question. Uh, short answer, we don't know what Putin is actually going to do. Okay, and that's a big risk to leave it up just hanging like that, right? Because given his track record, he could easily do it. Sort of, you know throw caution to the wind and say, okay, I don't know what the end game is here, but I'm not going to back down. I made my threat and I'm going to follow through and then uh, deal with it. I mean, the other factors here are, you know, what's going on domestically in Russia. Putin's popularity is not as high as it used to be. Um, If we look at sort of the geopolitics, China is much more powerful than Russia. Um, So there's a lot of factors here. And, um, I just Putin could easily start military activity again, um, or he could back down. So, so it's it, so when the Polish Prime Minister says today that you know we're closer to war than we have been in thirty years in in Eastern Europe, absolutely, he, he, he's right. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, wow. Uh, I mean, Mar- as I said, though, it's a fifty-fifty chance. Exactly, it could go the other way, but, but I mean, it has it has never been this tense. Since I'm going to say 38, 1938. Wow. Okay. Because I mean, that's when the last time this kind of tension. And I, you know, as a historian, I hate to draw parallels, but I can't help it. So this is worse than um, the Cold War that we all lived through in the in the 70s and 80s. Well, and but there was no physical killing in Europe during the Cold War. And there could be here. Right? And there is physical killing. I mean, when Russia invaded Ukraine, there's physical killing happening every day. They're shooting, they're destroying infrastructure, they're injuring people. So there's physical violence, physical warfare happening right now, and that has the potential to escalate. And that's that's the scary part. Yeah, it's scary indeed. There were proxy wars. There were wars in other parts of the world. Uh, the United States and the Soviet Union, they fought each other militarily through proxy wars in Africa and Asia and Latin America, but they didn't actually fight in Europe. And this is what the fear is. So what are you watching in the coming hours, days, weeks, and months? What are you watching? I'm watching carefully what's going on in Moscow and Putin's inner clique. They hold a lot of power, and nobody's really watching them because they're not, you know, not nobody, but that that's not part of the discussion. Um, I'm also watching carefully to see uh, coordination between, continued coordination between all of the liberal democracies 
and I'm watching China. Those are the things I'm going to be watching. All right, Marta, we'll have you back. Made its position clear. Well, thank you. Um, It's not going to be over soon, so. No, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you're you're stay tuned. You're a great resource and a valuable uh, insight. So uh, we'll check in again. Marta, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate your time. That is Marta Ditchuk, who is an associate professor in political science and history uh, in Western's Faculty of Social Science. And uh, she's uh, really, really tuned into that situation along the Ukraine border.